You're fed up with the nine to five. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career, but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. As an author, finance director, and qualified accountant, Andy knows the ins and outs of running a small or medium-sized business. He's here to share his insights on understanding the numbers, growing a profitable company, common mistakes, and preparing for an exit. With a unique perspective gained from working alongside a range of business owners, Andy brings a fresh take on the entrepreneurial journey. So get ready to learn from one of the best in the business. Let's dive in. Andy, welcome to Business Breaks. Hi, Dan. So yeah, thanks for inviting me on. Happy to have you on the show. Andy, so can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got started as a virtual finance director, or should I say now a fractional CFO these days? Yeah, fractional CFO is, is the American term, I think. It's been going for quite a while. It's just sort of across the Atlantic post-COVID, I think, people are starting to pick up on it. I think it, it stems back to some other things in America, like fractional ownership of, of cars and also aeroplanes that they they have as terminology. So, yeah, a business has access to a finance director who might work for half a dozen other businesses, gets benefit for a couple of days a month or whatever it is, but doesn't have to pay the full salary. We used to call them part-time finance directors in the UK. And then, of course, again, with COVID, it became a virtual FD because, well, you couldn't go and see your clients. So, <laughs> <laughs> And it's, yeah. it sounds so much uh, more impressive to say fractional CFO. There's a, a big mystique think, around it. Yeah, I think it's a better description, actually. People mm. get what it is. Yeah. I became a fractional CFO. We're going to use that term. <laughs> Ten years ago, actually, I was working for some bigger businesses, some quoted businesses as a as an accountant and made my way up to FC and finance director of some subsidiaries. And then I sort of worked for some owner-managed business, which I found more interesting, you know, working directly with the owners, being able to make decisions quickly rather than having to wait for some committee to decide if they were going to go down the route that you were proposing. Yeah. And then I went for a job, actually. I think it's probably 20 years ago. And I went for a job with a guy who was the part-time finance director of a business that had grown to the point it needed a full-time FD. And I was sitting there and I was, you know, doing my best. And I sort of halfway through, I, I realized, actually, I don't, I don't want this job. I want to do what you're doing. It sounds much more interesting. <laughs> I had a good chat with him. I didn't actually go and work for them in the end, but I sort of planted the seed at the back of my mind. And yeah, at, at a point in time, I, uh, I set, set things up, got myself a limited company. I already had sort of one moonlighting type client on the side found another the first year was quite difficult but yeah there's plenty of plenty of work out there plenty of businesses that need some help they're not getting it from their accountants quite often i mean some accountants are very good they'll look forward but yeah generally people have got a gap between the bookkeeper and, and the external accountant there's not enough financial advice no sounding board for them and this is where someone who's confident in their expertise can really add value in terms of directing a business to do the right things, avoid those mistakes, as well as seize those opportunities that are clearly there. And it's interesting that you mentioned because there are quite a few accountants who are looking for maybe permanent work or a full-time job 
when there is this opportunity to maybe serve a number of businesses who maybe can't afford to have a full-time person, but would get value from someone's expertise, even on a part-time basis. Yeah. I mean, if, if you think about businesses in the UK, I think there's 6 million of them. Three quarters of them don't have any employees. You know, they are one-person businesses. I think the top 1% or so are strictly speaking large business. That still leaves, you know, well over a million businesses, which are probably not big enough for a full-time FD, but a lot of them would get benefit from someone who can give some guidance in that area. Because, I mean, let's think about it. Most people start a business because they're, they're either they're very good at sales and marketing mm. or, or they're very good at the, the technical side of the business. You know, I know they're an architect or, or they're in, in sort of some sort of construction. Very few people start a business because they're a good, uh, a good accountant. That's not what we do. We're too risk-averse for that. <laughs> so there's this whole where people start businesses, they've got they've got the operational skills, probably they've got the sales skills, or they've got they've got one on the other, and they, they get the other one in because you, you mm. can't go very far without having those two. And people tend to wait too long to get someone to come in and help in, in the finance, sort of fine tune the profitability and uh, the finance side of the of, of the business. That makes sense. And in terms of your story, so can you share some of those experiences when you were a co-founder and also that business exit once you realize well you've gone as far as you want to go you want to try and you want to move on to do something else so in terms of if i can start with the beginning what strategies did you use to grow your business and ensure profitability in the initial stages yeah i mean i I don't think i can take uh, too much credit for for that particular business i was in the right place at the right time i was working alongside somebody who who is technically a, a serial entrepreneur and mm. i think this was his i think might have been his fourth and his fifth business the two that we we set up where i was a shareholder and it was very interesting sort of watching the way he did it right from the very start before we we had any clients you know he was already thinking about how we're going to sell this you know what's he got to look like to be able to to package it up and and get someone to buy it he had a five-year window which he was looking at to mm. to to do the sale and so yeah i mean there was all sorts of things i learned from him really one of the the classic ones i think was to employ people who are better than yourself so he had this thing where he got someone in who was a real specialist in operations he got someone in who was a specialist in sales and he was stuck with me because we started it together so he had had someone who couldn't do anything other than finance but he he often said and we had a good hr person with a fantastic IT person. That was, that was one of the things that, that uh, made the business very successful was the IT system, actually. It was sort of industry-leading. Well, there wasn't another one like it at the time, and it made it made our cost per, per unit pretty low for the service we were providing. So, yeah, I think he he looked from the very beginning at, at the sale. What does he need to do? He realized that you know he had to be out of the day-to-day business to mm. sell it. I think is one thing, a lesson that you you read sometimes in books, but a lot of people who run businesses think, oh, I'll do that later, yeah, <laughs> and they never do. You know, nothing happens without them. If they take a, a three-week holiday, the chances are the, the business will go, go bankrupt if they're not on the end of the phone. <laughs> he was completely the opposite, you know, from day one. He, he wasn't required for the day-to-day decision. The other thing that we did was the automation, I think. That was key, getting that system up and running and on the finance side and again i don't take credit for it but pricing was serious profit in there 
Mm. There was no, there was none of this. So let's let's sell it cheap to start with and get get ourselves going. You know, from the from the first contract, uh, we were profitable above the industry averages. Mm. Um, and and if you've got that extra profit, you know, it buys you time. Makes you can get better people. Whole thing just uh, is just, just so much easier. Wow. Thank you, Andy. That's really insightful. So start off really getting great people, then automate what you should automate, which is as much as possible, and also ensure that you write up your contracts so that you are profitable from the get-go rather than trying to bleed cash at the beginning because you're thinking, I need to compromise profitability to get that initial growth and build that customer base. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are businesses out there that say, you know, we, we wouldn't have got where we are if we if we mm. didn't sort of have a few lost leaders to start with. I can probably see that in some some contexts, but if you don't have to, then yeah. Being being profitable from the beginning just buys you so much time. That sounds, that sounds so logical. And, you know, the way it's structured, it sounds like it was very smooth in terms of the process but i i know for yeah yeah yeah, i was gonna say actually (laughs) so what lessons did you learn from those challenges if you wouldn't mind sharing that well i mean the one business for example i mean we we didn't have any work for two about two years right at the beginning you know it's really difficult to get it going and obviously we didn't want to take any low price business so we didn't we were we were all contractors, the main people that were in, in the business, which helped. So we all had other, other other incomes. So we weren't dragging money out of the business. And then when it did set up, uh, we were able to to all give it some some time and you know, sort of variable time, which which helped, you know. But yeah, I mean, I can't I can't think of anything that seriously that went wrong. But I think the system the system went down a few times at the beginning. I mean, it's software, isn't it? It's never going to work properly yeah. all the time. <laughs> but nothing disastrous and it was always fixed we we, we were um, w- what we did well part of what we did was paying uh car dealerships all over the world to to repair damage on new cars when they when they received them so i mean if you think about we didn't do uh we didn't do bmw but for example you know bmw dealer he gets uh, a car delivered on the back of a truck and it's got a scratch down mm-hmm. our business was to 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 take the the call or the the email the photographs will be uploaded the estimate will be uploaded and then we'd agree the, the method of repair if we were happy with it and and then we'd pay them yeah so you know there's some some danger that some payments would go go missing at the time what you know one or two very very few actually but one or two did did, did go a bit wrong uh those are sort of evenings where you uh well at nights where you don't sleep very much <clears throat> <laughs> I can imagine. And yeah, that that's the other thing. It's like that classic question, what keeps the CFO awake at night or the finance director? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I've been involved in a lot of businesses and um, it's cash, isn't it really? Yeah. Cash is the, is the one that you, you, uh, you can do, you can do something about everything else in the short term, I think. But yeah, business that, is going to run out of cash you you're in trouble uh, for whatever reason your business your business fails at the, at the end of the day it's because it runs out of cash mm. so yeah not in that business but in others i've i've been there where you know you're halfway through the month and you don't know how you're going to pay the payroll and you're sort of juggling 
the suppliers you pay depending on who's going to put you on stop and all that sort of thing. Uh, I think that's probably what would keep most... Well, that's, that's one of the worst things for a fire. I remember having an accounts payable clerk who had to lie through his teeth sometimes saying, oh, yeah, the check's in the post, check's in the post. It's been signed. I sent it. I sent yeah. it this morning. You should receive it in a couple of days. And, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have that excuse anymore, do we? That, that, that is excuse number one, I think, checks in the post, because that buys you a week, you know. Just, yeah. You know, wait, wait, wait. It must be in the second post. Oh, it must be, it's probably got lost. Just hang on. Oh, well, okay, we'll print another one. And then, of course, that buys you a few more days whilst that happens. Well, especially with digital technology as well, you know, you can get a banking app, just say, send me the photograph and I'll, I'll <laughs> cash it in <laughs> through yeah. my app. You know, yeah. you don't even have that excuse anymore. Right. So it's crazy um, how technology's enabled a lot of things, including more transparency. And I guess in terms of coming to your expertise as a virtual FD or fractional CFO, can you please explain what what does that entail and how do you exactly help small businesses? Yeah, sure. So I mean, I, a fractional CFO is, is no different to, to a full-time CFO, really, in what they do, mm-hmm. a full-time finance director, our UK term. You're in charge of everything that's financial, but, but in a bigger business, you tend to have a financial controller or accountants who deal with the transactional work are sort of recording the history the the finance director as the name suggests direction mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's not about controlling it's it's about directing the the, the finances and and the business you're probably doing a lot of planning uh you know looking forward one year month by month looking at the next two or three years maybe maybe more uh you know how much could you grow putting together uh, plans so that uh, if there's a, a business, for example, that needs a lot of infrastructure and people to grow, that the, the resources are there to pay for those before the sales start to come in. I'd say that's a, that's a large element of it. Mm-hmm. In a smaller business as well, you, you're, you're looking at the entrepreneur themselves. Um, you know, what, what are they trying to do? When, when do they want to get out if, if they're of a certain age? I've I've done a few exits now with people, and uh, it takes it takes a long time to get it right. You know, at least probably three years, maybe longer. That you need to be planning ahead, mm-hmm. uh, depending on on the way the business is set up. So I'd say that's that's quite significant. One thing I don't do is tax. Uh, some people, some fractional CFOs do, uh, but I'd prefer to leave that to to the accountants who, you know. That, that, that's what they do all day. They've got teams that understand it. Um, I'm a I'm single single person, and all the CPD I'd have to do to keep up to date with changes in taxes uh, is not worth it. So, yeah. especially with globalization, and even even a small business may end up having overseas customers and all those compliance implications uh, with um, overseas transactions. That's yeah. that can be a minefield in itself. As well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been involved with a startup recently. Uh, only been going sort of eighteen months. They've got all sorts of transactions going on in Europe um, with a number of different sort of European VAT uh, authorities. Got, got quite complicated quite quickly. Mm. Uh, and we are we are relying on a, on a mid tier firm of uh, 
accountants to advise us on that because we haven't got that sort of advice in house or that sort of expertise in house and probably couldn't afford it if uh, if we wanted it <laughs> and this is it is the commercial aspect of it in the sense that that's not your core capability and as you say there's other firms that can deliver that but the piece you give is the focus on really what is the business strategy and how does the financial strategy get embedded within that and speaking of financial strategy, can you discuss the importance of having that solid financial strategy and how you can help small business owners develop that? Yeah, it, it comes back to a classic phrase, I think, knowing your numbers, which is sounds like a very simple thing, but it's, it's actually uh, it's a bit more involved than that. But understanding things like gross margins on, on different parts of the business uh, there's was, was a book that a, a guy from MIT in the States wrote some time ago, um, Islands of Profit in a, in a Sea of Red Ink or something. And he mm. did done a lot of research over sort of 20 years, I think, and discovered that when business gets to a certain size, they, they've they gone broad rather than sort of focusing. And mm. they, they sort of add services on. And when you break it down, about half the half of the – activities that are going on in a business don't actually make any money mm. and you've got a small amount of business that's doing something else a specialist bit somewhere that's making mm. probably more profit than your whole business because because the rest of it's dragging it down and, mm. I, and i've seen that in a number of businesses and it does happen so yeah i think there's a number of insights that, that the finance director can can probably give to a, a cfo you know looking at looking at the the, the growth looking at how profitable they are in different areas, which bits they should perhaps get rid of, which bits they should push on with and grow. Yeah, it's uh, something simple, just like you know, revenue per head in, in, in any sort of service industry. Mm. If you're measuring it regularly, you, you, even if you're growing, you get a sense of whether you're staying profitable. Now, you, if you've got some information maybe from another business or some, sometimes a trade association might put some information out about what's going on, the trends, you can measure yourself on things like that as well, just just KPIs that are, are useful in an individual industry. Just Yeah, they're just, just little uh, pointers in the right direction, aren't they? To, yeah. You know, a red flag if something looks like it's going to be going wrong. And then you develop that insight and instinct, should I say, to know where to sniff out a problem in your business. That's that's really insightful. Thank you, Andy. In terms of challenges in the current economic climate, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing small businesses in terms of their finances? And how would you help them overcome these challenges? Yeah, I mean... I I haven't seen that many problems in, in, in the businesses that I'm involved in, to be honest. Hmm. A couple of them are absolutely flying. You know, whether they're just in the right industry, um, most of my clients are either in automotive or they're in, in construction, uh, architects and, and that sort of thing. So I think maybe maybe property hasn't slowed down yet. So, so that's, that's probably still okay. Some of the automotive numbers over the last few years have been been pretty poor. I mean, yeah, I don't know if you've read about the semiconductor issues, but most of the automotive manufacturers have been struggling to get the parts. Part shortages. Yeah, that's, you know, hit, hit sales and even the, the second-hand market. I mean, people, most people probably know that the second-hand values are, are high because of that. 
Yeah. So any automotive service business has been struggling on, on volumes. Yeah, so it's, it's difficult. I mean, all they've done, I think, is, is sort of sh- try to reduce the reduce their costs, reduce their manpower. Uh, one of the businesses I was in just just got rid of its offices. So after COVID, you know, everybody, well, when lockdown happened, everybody started working yeah. from home. So there was a bit of new equipment that needed to be bought so that everyone could work at home. And uh, the the lease on the building came up whilst we were still on lockdown, and they didn't didn't renew. So yeah, I mean, that's quite a good saving, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I can imagine some businesses like restaurants will have, will have struggled. And if they didn't have cash to see them through, they're not going to survive. Is commercial properties places where there were um, previously heavily populated offices because people weren't at home; they were out and about. And then you have the cafes, the restaurants that would be there. Yeah. So if people are at home, then restaurants, the revenue gets diverted to eating at home, having takeaways or heaven forbid, and I'm guilty of it. My waistline will tell you that home delivery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they've done well. That's something that did well out of COVID, isn't it? The yeah. Delivery industry. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And Coming back to your finance expertise, so you've already answered it, but how would you go about, say, from cold analyzing a company's financial data to getting a quick read of their financial health in order to enable thinking about making those strategic financial decisions in the business? I think a good place to start is is a cash flow statement. So. Mm. Just just looking back the last three months or so, and a lot of the businesses I work in, in fact, probably pretty much all of them, we do a, a cash flow forecast thirteen weeks ahead. Mm. So you're you're looking at your costs, which which you know service businesses are often quite predictable. You know salaries don't change that much. The rent's not going to change. You might have the odd contractor that goes up and down, but IT, um, telecoms, uh, marketing, a lot, a lot of costs these days are on subscriptions, so you can predict those. You've then got to try and figure out what your revenue is going to be for the next three months. Well, <laughs> first month or two might be quite easy because it's, it's it's the invoices that you made last last month, so you can just yeah. just look at that. But you've got to try and estimate what's going to happen in the next few months. But if you look back at the actuals on the same basis, you know what revenues came in, mm. what costs went out, um, what big one-offs have I got, like VAT every quarter, and sometimes the rent is quarterly as well. Mm. Uh, that 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 tells you quite a lot about a business, uh, and then. From there, I would probably try to put together a, a, a model which produces a, a very simple profit and loss account. So, you know, I mean, for, for the sake, for an example, an, an architect, because I'm a bit of a favour of mine, you, you can pretty much guess the, the revenue per head from from a, a firm of architects uh, that tend to move in a fairly small band. So if you know how many people are working, how many fee earners there are, you can sort of predict the, what the revenue should be, the, the, the average gross pay of, of the architects. Again, it's pretty standard across the country, a bit, bit, bit more in, in London, but you can predict it. IT, bit of IT, bit of rent and rates, you know, get get a flavour of what that model is. You know, what, what are the costs? What are the revenues? Mm. Uh, and then start to look at how you can how you can improve it. Brilliant. And then what are some of the common financial mistakes you see small businesses making and how would they best avoid them? 
Yeah, so I think I'd say that probably the the worst mistake that people make, or the one that slows them down, I'll give you two actually. So what one is they don't get a finance specialist in early enough. So what you have quite often is is a business that's quite significant, got quite a lot of uh, financial management requirement, and you've you've got a bookkeeper who who even you know a qualified bookkeeper is probably mainly going to be looking at the past, you know, keeping the transactions, mm-hmm. getting the VAT. Uh, maybe doing a bit of form, and then you've got the the entrepreneur themselves, who who will not be trained in in accounting or, or finance <laughs> or anything like that, who, who who hangs on to it for too long because they don't they trust anybody else to to look <laughs> up, which pulls them away from the sales and the operations side of of the business, which is what they're best at. <laughs> so so I think that's a, a mistake that I see quite a lot, and then. The other one I'd say is is not sticking to quite a focus. So when a business is small, it probably is quite niche, you know, just, just mm-hmm. doing one thing for one type of client. But then quite often, you know, something shiny over there looks like it's a good idea to add on. And then perhaps there's something over here that we could, you know, we could get some clients that did this or, or our current clients, we could uh, we could get them to, to, to buy some other service as well. And in a small business, that starts to get difficult because, the employees aren't specialists in what they're trying to do, and you don't have the right costings. You you, you don't have the specialist uh, knowledge. I mean, think of a restaurant. There's a classic restaurant issue that if you've got a, a menu that's got hundred different items on it, how can the chef really prepare any of them very well? How, how can you ask the, the the waiter or the waitress what's good? Because they won't mm. have eaten them all. Whereas if you go to a, a small niche restaurant that just does half a yeah. dozen or, or particularly has some sort of dish of the day, you know, they're focused on it and it's going to be good and mm. th- th- they'll make a better margin on it. There's less waste yeah. because they don't have to buy so much food in. You know, it's just an easier business. Oh, that makes complete sense. And that's a brilliant analogy, the restaurant. I mean thinking about it and this is going back a while but i remember going to heston blumenthal his whole menu was practically on a single page yeah whereas if you go to takeaway you've got like pages and pages of options and yeah they're very much variations on on a theme i think you can have every type of meat every type of fish but none of it exceptional no it's not going to be is it i I remember going to a restaurant uh, when I was working in uh, in Liverpool, used to go to a restaurant up there, and it almost did everything. You know, there was a menu, and there's there's a dozen pizzas, dozen pasta dishes, dozen Indian dishes, mm. Italian fish. You know, yeah. it, it was huge <clears throat> and pretty mediocre. <laughs> All right, moving on to business, and uh, how do you help small business owners prepare for an exit when it's whether it's through a merger or acquisition or a leadership transition? Yeah, I've done it a few times, but I mean, I've, I've got one role in this. So I'm, I'm the, ma- the guy on the inside who, who understands the numbers. There's probably going to be uh, an accountant who, you know, an outside firm of, of corporate finance people who need to work on a, on a deal. There'll be a lawyer who's got to work on the deal. It's a bit of teamwork, but... Yeah, for me, I'm probably involved in it before anybody else. Um, and and what I'd be saying to somebody is, you know, you've probably got to think about this three years out at least. 
you've you got to make yourself redundant. You know, you, mm. whoever's buying the business isn't buying you, so it's going to have to work without you. Mm. And, and most people haven't got there until they decide they, they want to sell. They're in the day-to-day. They're making a lot of decisions on day-to-day on uh, aspects of the business. So, so yeah, I mean, that that's a process. There's a there's a psychological thing in that it probably is their baby, you know, mm, one yeah. of them. And then it's going to be hard. They need to think about what they're going to do when, when they when they finish. Yeah. Because, yeah, they might have a reasonable amount of money enough to see them through or whatever, but then you think about what, what are you going to do? Instead of getting up at six o'clock in the morning and doing emails till ten o'clock at night or whatever it is, so I yeah I'd have a good conversation about that I think, but also think about who's going to buy it. Mm. If you if you set up uh, a niche business, I mean let's go back to architects again because it works quite well. But if you're if you're a generalist firm of architects, why is someone going to buy you your your firm? Mm. Whereas if you're a niche architect, I don't know you do. You do nursery schools, for example. You, know, you 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 might well find that a, a larger firm somewhere that doesn't have that specific expertise would would see you as a as an opportunity to to get into a different market where there might be a good margin. So yeah, makes sense. And there's a lot of things to consider in that. I can imagine if you've been going full full blast for three years and then suddenly you've sold, nothing left to do. If you stop, you're like, woof. Yeah. And that must be difficult to yeah. deal with, you know? Yeah, I think, I think. I mean, I've, it's not happened to me, but I've, I've, I've listened to some, uh, some stories of people getting towards the end and actually sort of pulling back and thinking, oh, this is getting a bit too real now. What, what, what am I going to do? You know, do I want to sell it? Yeah. Um, the other thing to think about, of course, is that from I've never, I've never seen any real evidence of this, but I've heard it anecdotally many times. They reckon that only twenty percent of businesses that are put up for sale actually get sold. Mm. So you need to work hard to be the one in five where it actually happens. And do you think that is due to that psychological resistance to change? What the one in five? You mean? Yeah. No, no. I think the one in five. I mean, is... no. Sorry, not the one in five. I mean the four in five. Sorry, the ones who who can't sell. Yeah. Maybe no. they offer it too high. But is there a psychological? blocker behind that maybe decisions that might sabotage the sale sorry yeah i I think that's probably a small proportion i think most Mm. of the ones that don't sell just just aren't aren't what anyone would want to buy you know a lot lot of businesses where the the owner is still involved Mm. or you know like they are too generalist or 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 they just want too much money it's just not, not worth it makes sense Buyers, the buyers of businesses tend to be smarter than sellers because they've the the, the, the sellers mostly, apart from the old serial entrepreneur, it's the first time they've done it. Mm. Whereas buyers are, you know, done a few, maybe made it the odd mistake, but they, they they know what they want. That's an interesting topic, and then maybe we can come back to that in another episode because I'll, I'll be interested to get your takes on selling. Uh, from an entrepreneur's perspective, especially around setting the prices and maybe trading off the content versus or the value versus the actual price that the customer pays versus what they receive. But uh, in terms of small businesses, uh, can you share some tips for those owners on how to create the right financial foundations for future growth? 
Cash. Mm. Yeah, I would say cash gets you out of a lot of uh, a lot of problems and gives you the opportunity to make some uh, take a few risks. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when a business is very small, um, you, you can take a few risks. But uh, yeah, once you get a bit bigger and you've got a payroll and you know pe- people's mortgages are reliant on uh, on making the profit every every month or making your revenue every month to pay them, yeah. Growth, growth needs to be planned carefully because it because it it can be risky, and often it, it it's a it's cash flow negative. You know mm. you've got to you've got to invest first before you see the revenue come in. If you see the revenue come in, mm. so yeah, I mean plan, put together a plan. You know understand what the variables are, what what your your, your costs are going to be for the extra business and. Um, what revenue you're expecting? Compare that to to the margins that you're getting at the moment. Yeah, just just have a robust plan. I think would be my my overall advice. Thank you, Andy. Makes absolute sense. And yeah, if you have if you have the cash to begin with, it makes a lot of decisions easier. But if you yeah. make too many of the wrong cash outgoings over time, you you will run out of cash before you know it. Yeah, no, it's very true. It's very true. Yeah, but if you know. If you have built up cash over time, a lot of the guys that I've worked with have been quite savvy without me having to tell them. Tell them. You know, they've got they've got a few months worth of costs in the bank account just in case mm. something you know it does go a bit quiet for a while. Yeah, it just gives you that cushion. Yeah. You know, you 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 can take a a bit of a gamble, try something. Mm. One of the one of the firms I'm working for at the moment has got it's just sort of I don't fall into it, but they they've spotted a niche. Which is, it's sort of within their business, but it's a bit different. And, and probably, if it worked, it might be spun off into a different business. It might be a subsidiary, mm. or it might be a separate business. And a cu- at a couple of points, we've sort of set aside a certain amount of money and said, "Okay, we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna get some sort of proof of concept. We're gonna build a model, and mm. then we're gonna we're, we're gonna show a few people to see if they're interested, and then if that works." We'll go to the next stage, and you know, you put a budget aside, and um, they're at the second stage now. So they built the, the smaller model, and uh, they, they're just about at the point where they're going to build the full size sections of this thing. And um, yeah, they're just they're doing it sensibly in a controlled manner. You know, they know how much that they, they've got as a budget. It's not just somebody, you know, having a go and, and empty, uh, open checkbook and off they go. Yeah. Everything on red or black yeah, no, or white, you know, everything. No, like definitely that. not. And, and, and after each each sort of milestone, we come back to the board meeting. We yeah. all talk about it, all, all the opinions, and you know, only if it's a majority will we will we carry on, and we have done. That makes sense. And there's always a way to de-risk the decision, as you say, maybe just doing a small trial, getting a proof of concept out there, and just making sure that there's something something worth pursuing before you go all in as they say yeah yeah i mean it, it, it's still not going to tell you if you're going to make that first sale because mm. somebody looking at a model and saying oh yeah we, we we'd like one of those it's very different from oh right yeah we, 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 do you want to buy a truckload of you know widgets whatever they are that mm. 50 55 pound a unit it's uh it's very different but you know th- that, that sort of control and understanding and, and, it, and if we were to write it all off now yeah you know we all know how much it is. We've all agreed to put that much uh, uh, aside, and okay, it wouldn't have worked, and, and and that's unfortunate. But 
uh, yeah, we haven't lost a huge amount of money. Makes complete sense. Well, Andy, I've run out of questions and it's been a really terrific interview. So thank you very much for providing your insights. And just uh, just to wrap up, I'll ask you a few final questions. What do you like to do in your spare time? Yeah, I'm quite a sports fan. So, um, you know, I support Liverpool, which, um, which is a bit hard at the moment. They've been, they've been rubbish for the last <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I've had a good, had some good times. Uh, of course, I remember the '80s when when they were really good, and I yeah, I, I like going to, to events. So if I can get to a cricket match or a t- tennis a day at a tennis, uh, all that sort of thing, I, I love that. Brilliant. And do you have any exciting projects you are working on right now that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing I've been developing over the last couple of years is uh, is it's called a scorecard. It's uh, uh, on a thing called Score app, we can perhaps we can put the the details in the notes if we can. It's a it's a quick three minute probably uh, diagnostic for your business finances. You answer thirty thirty two questions, I think it is, mm. and uh, you get sort of four scores for four different areas, which uh, sort of relates back to my book. And uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 a diagnostic for how you're doing and gives you a bit of insight, and from that. There are some tools to to improve, so I'll, I'm still developing it. It'll take a while to finish it, so that's that's my uh, my favourite bit at the moment. <clears throat> Brilliant, and I look forward to seeing that. And I will certainly add that in the show notes. Thank you. And finally, where can our listeners find and connect with you online? I think the best the best way is is LinkedIn. Mm. So if you spell my name right, I'm the only Andy Christian on LinkedIn. It's got <laughs> an unusual surname. Yeah, I've, I've got a presence there and it goes through some to my website as well. So that's probably the, the best way. And yeah, always happy to connect with people. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Andy. I will make sure that our listeners get to reach out if they're interested. And uh, on a personal level, it's been a great interview and look forward to uh, having you back on the show. Thank you very much, yeah. Andy. That'd be great. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks. It's whiz by actually, isn't it? So, uh... Yeah, it has indeed. <laughs> thanks a lot thanks Andy cheers cheers bye this podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business IT and digital finance hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations